Walter Sports Bar in Navy Yard will have quite the quick turnaround this weekend. On Saturday night, check out the much-anticipated bout between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. Then on Sunday morning at 5 a.m., the U.S. women's national team takes on Sweden in the Women's World Cup. Pajamas are allowed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Big swing here, and the Nets will be right back in a tie game. The kick of the pitch. Breaking ball, belted to deep left field. Way back, going, going, gone, goodbye. Bang, zoom goes Joey Manessis. On cue, a two-run homer to tie this game here in the top of the eighth inning. The 3-2 coming. Swing a line drive to right, base hit toward the line. This one's headed toward the corner and all the way to the fence. Coming in to score the go-ahead run is Fargus, and sliding it at second with a go-ahead double and a fist pump is Jake Alou. Nationals lead 4-3, their first lead of the ball game. Right-hander to the belts. He fires home. Swing a line drive, well hit to left field. Benson racing back this one over his head, and it is gone! Into the first row of seats over the 12-foot wall and left. It's a two-homer game for Lane Thomas and a 6-3 Nationals lead. New career high with 18 home runs. Another multi-homer game in this ballpark. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, August 5th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is on the COVID list, but in Cincinnati. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. We have had an eventful last few days for the Nationals. You think about what's transpired. So we had the Nats winning two or three games against the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park Monday through Wednesday. We, after the win on Wednesday, what was a walk-off win, had two notable roster moves. We then, over the course of Thursday and Friday, had two other roster moves. Oh, by the way, we on Thursday had the professional debut of Dylan Cruz. He went three for three with a double and a single for the FCL Nats, the Florida Complex League Nats. And he, on Saturday, is set to make his debut for the low A Fredericksburg Nationals. And then we on Friday evening had a 6-3-10 inning Nats win at the Cincinnati Reds in game one of a three-game series. Lane Thomas, two home runs. Joey Manessis, big home run. Jake Alou, big RBI double. The Nats bullpen was really good. And now Mark has COVID. (laughs) So Mark, there has been a lot happening these last few days. I'll take your word for it, Al, because I didn't get to see it at least firsthand (laughs) here on Friday. You know, I made it three and a half years before I finally got it. Who would have thought that it would finally happen to me when I got to Cincinnati, of all places? But 
appreciate all the kind words for people who have uh, responded to me on Twitter. I'm feeling pretty good. Basically, just feel like I've had a cold. Didn't think it was anything worse than that. I sincerely apologize to my wife, Rachel, who does also have it now at home and is stuck at home by herself taking care of, of our son while she deals with this. And who knows when I'm going to get to finally come home. We'll see. But the good news, I was able to watch the game. I was able to hear everything that was said about the game. And the boys battled. I don't know if they did it in my honor or not, but the boys battled. And this was an impressive win, both the fact they did it, but also the fact they did it in a way we don't see them very much doing it with the long ball, right? Very much so. And, you know, this is such an odd game for those who watched it because the game was moving at like lightning speed. The Nats were doing next to nothing offensively. And then the Nats ended up doing quite well in the latter innings. The Nats in this game overcame a 3-1 eighth inning deficit. And yeah, I mean, look, Great American Ballpark is known for being a bandbox of a ballpark. A lot of home runs have been hit in that park over the years. Sure enough, Friday evening, each team hit three homers, but the Nats came through. I mean, you know, they did things in a way that, you know, we're not used to seeing them do things this season, and that is via the home run. And nobody homered more often in this game than Lane Thomas. It has not been a good last month for Lane Thomas. He had a really rough month of July, did not have an especially good series against the Brewers, but Lane Thomas on Friday evening, three for five with a two-run homer, a solo homer, and an infield single to add to all of that. But Lane Thomas in the Nats, one run, six inning, a one-out solo home run on a really well-hit ball to left center field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1, 434 feet per stat cast. Thomas in the Nats, two-run eighth, a two-out first pitch opposite field infield single on essentially a swinging bunt toward first base. And then Lane Thomas in a Nats three-run 10th inning, a two-out, two-run homer to left field for a 6-3 Nats lead. And that homer really made you feel like, okay, this is going to be a Nationals victory in this game on Friday evening. But a guy who had not been uh, especially hot, boy, did he have a big game on Friday evening. That last homer, it felt like it left the park in about 0.3 seconds. That was a laser to left field. The first one, like you said, a towering shot. Second one just shot off his bat. Good for him. I think he kind of needed a game like this, the way things have gone for him over the last month. He's had a few moments here and there, but not really the guy that we had seen for the first half of the season. So good for him for getting that back and finding that stroke again. And maybe it was appropriate that it happened in Cincinnati because remember last year, had a three-homer game in this ballpark. So there's something about it. Obviously, it's a great home run park for almost anybody, but it seems especially so for Lane Thomas. Those were good quality at-bats and timely at-bats. I know the first five-plus innings of the game were frustrating because, they, like you said, they did nothing at the plate. But I feel like this is an emerging trend that these guys seem to have a way of flipping on a switch at some point, and they've actually done this quite a bit where – on nights when they didn't have anything going, all of a sudden you look up at the end of the night and they did just enough to actually win a game. Lane Thomas now a team best 18 home runs this season, breaking a tie with Jamer Candelario. So it will not be someone who is no longer on the team who ends up leading the Nats and homers this season. But, you know, it is, I think, pretty obvious, but I think it's worth saying with Candelario now gone, I mean, this lineup does look a lot different. It obviously wasn't supremely imposing to begin with. But now that Candelario is gone, 
I mean, you know, you're seeing we had Cabot Ruiz as the Nats' number four batter on Friday evening, Dominic Smith, the number five batter, the uh, newly brought up to the majors, Blake Rutherford as the number six batter. Like, you really do need Lane Thomas to hit well for the rest of this season if this Nats team is going to pick up some wins and, you know, going to be respectable offensively. Now, as much as ever, it would feel like the offensive burden is on the likes of Lane Thomas and another guy who had a good night on Friday night, Joey Manessis. And, you know, obviously you want to see the continued rise of C.J. Abrams, etc., But yeah, this is an especially good time for Lane Thomas to get back on track, if in fact he is getting back on track. Yeah, 100%. I'm looking at Abrams, Thomas, Manessis, Ruiz, the top four guys in this lineup, probably going to be the top four guys most nights now moving forward. You're going to need all four of them to be productive in some capacity. I'm sure there are people who looked at Lane over the last month or so and said, well, maybe we spoke too soon. Maybe he's not as good as he looked there in the first half. So I think this is an important stretch for him to show that he can get that back, that he can flip the switch back on, and that the first half wasn't a fluke. I think we've talked about this. He's been a streaky hitter in his career, especially last year. It seemed like every other month was different for him, and this year was starting to put it all together without having that prolonged slump. But you know, if it's one bad month, you can live with that. If he gets it back on, he doesn't have to play at his all-star level from the first half. Just be a good solid hitter here in August, have some timely hits, hit for power like he did in this game. And I think everything will be fine. So the move down to the number two spot, we wonder, did that affect him mentally? He's insisting it doesn't have anything to do with it. But on this night, he looked like the Lane Thomas that we saw from the first half of the season. By the way, speaking of the number two spot thing, I thought about this the other day. Remember last season how Juan Soto didn't want to hit in the two spot? And that was like this thing that never really made sense to any of the rest of us. But to him, it was this thing that he did not like. Although, interestingly, he goes to the Padres and they have him hitting in the number two spot quite a bit. But anyway, but yeah. And now this year, Lane Thomas, I don't know if he doesn't like it, but it hasn't been great for him so far. So maybe the number two spot in the uh, Nats lineup is somehow cursed for Nats players. I don't know. Well, Lane Thomas did not have a good month of July. Joey Manessis had a great month of July, and Joey Manessis had a very good game in this Nats win on Friday evening. Two for four with a two-run homer, a single, and a walk. Manessis in the top of the first, a two-out walk. Manessis in the top of the fourth, a one-out first pitch single up the middle. And Manessis in a Nats two-run eighth, game-tying, two-out, two-run homer, to left field to tie the game at three, despite having been down in the count at 1.12, 406 feet per stat cast. It has been like a different Joey Manessis over the last, say, you know, month, maybe a little less than a month. He has gone from having had two home runs on the season to now hitting home runs on the regular. I mean, his home run count for the season now is up to nine, which obviously isn't great, but it's a lot better from where he was at just a few weeks ago. It was two homers in his first 80 games of the season and now seven in his last 22. That'll work. And you look at his season totals, and I understand this is still not where he was last year, and you would hope for more, and he obviously hopes for more. But in spite of all that, he's reached this point. He's now batting 282, 323 on base, 411 slugging, and a 734 OPS. 734, again, for a guy who was a 30-year-old rookie who had never been in the big leagues before, Find me somebody who would not take that from him. I know the bar was raised really high. I know he wants to do better, get for more power. But if he finishes out this year the way that we've seen him in the last month, he's going to end up having some solid numbers at the end of the year. And we're going to look back and say, hey, Joey Manessis is a legitimate big league hitter. Look, I'm not saying this is going to happen. 
But him getting to 20 homers on the season is not unthinkable. Like, it is doable. It is possible. Maybe not probable, but it is possible. And if he finishes with 20 home runs and he finishes with an OPS, let's say, threatening 800, which again, you know, I'm not going to say it's definitely going to happen, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think you can complain too much about those numbers if, in fact, he ends up with those numbers. That was always the thing with Manassas. I said this you know, a few shows back, but like, there's still enough season left to where he can have a good season. It's not set in stone that Joey Manessis has had a down 2023 season, you know, certainly from a power standpoint. So hopefully he is in the midst of changing that narrative. But great job by Lane Thomas on Friday night. Great job by Joey Manessis on Friday night. And how about Jake Alou? You know, years ago, Buddy Ryan said of Chris Carter, all he does is catch touchdowns. And Buddy meant it as an insult, but of course, it came off like a compliment. Jake Alou, all he does is deliver RBI hits because the guy has been up at the major league level in this latest stint now for three games. He has an RBI hit in each game. Jake Alou in this game on Friday night as the Nats starting second baseman, not third baseman, and number eight batter, one for four with an RBI double. It was Alou who ignited that three-run 10th inning for the Nats, a tie-breaking leadoff full count RBI double to right field for a 4-3 Nats lead. We know it is his hitting that has gotten him to the majors despite having been a 24th round pick, 24th round pick in the 2019 MLB draft. And so far, he is hitting at this major league level. And you can see he has an approach. He has an idea of what he's trying to do up there. He's not afraid to fall behind the count. He can hit with two strikes. Good, solid base hit, pulled to the right side with the automatic runner on second base. That's exactly what you're looking for in extra innings. Three games, three RBIs. He had a nice line out to uh, center field in the fifth inning that was well struck. So I'm curious to see here if he really does play every day or close to it. If that helps him, if we see a little more of who he really is, I almost don't want to judge him off what we saw during that brief stint early in the year. He was coming off the bench. He was playing left field more than anything else. I feel like he faced a bunch of lefties for whatever reason. That's not the best matchup for him. If he's playing every day or close to it and playing in the infield where his natural position is, I think we'll have a chance to see what he's made of. I don't know. I'm not sure anybody really knows if he can do this at the big league level on a consistent basis. But where they are right now, there's no reason not to find out. They might as well take a look at him and see what he can be for them, whether it's at third base or now at second base. Yeah, I mean, just to refresh people's memories on what happened with Alou back in May. So the Nats on May 8th recalled Alou from Rochester. May 15th optioned him to Rochester. May 17th recalled him from Rochester. May 19th optioned him to Rochester. He was up and down, up and down. I don't know that you can put much of any stock into what happened with Jake Alou in that first go-round at the major league level earlier this season. Interesting though, I mean, First two games starting third baseman, this game starting second baseman. It certainly sounds like Davey Martinez is going to mix and match here in terms of, you know, now that Jamer Candelario is gone, a little bit of Jake Alou. We have a little bit of Jeter Downs, who has been called up from AAA Rochester. Obviously, you still have Ildemaro Vargas, who was a starting third baseman in this game on Friday night. You do still have Michael Chavis. Do you think we'll see more of Alou at one spot or the other, or do you think it's going to be close to an even split in terms of third base, second base? Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I think what you saw in this case was the belief that Vargas is their best defensive answer at third base and Davey feeling like that's more important than second base, at least with Patrick Corbin on the mound. Maybe it depends on who you have on the mound on a given night. 
So I think if Vargas plays, they probably will put him at third and move Alou to second. But if there are days that Jeter Downs starts or Michael Chavis, who could also get starts, maybe they would be at second and then Alou would be at third. It's going to be mixing and matching. It's going to be based on matchups, as Davey said. I think what's clear here, and I don't don't think this is a big surprise, I do think it's the right decision. Jeter Downs isn't just going to suddenly be an everyday player. He's going to have to earn that. The guy was not hitting at AAA, I think 175 average. He really has not hit in several years at any level. He's up here kind of by default. He was already on the 40-man roster. He's an infielder. We saw a little bit of him earlier in the year. I don't think they're just going to hand him anything. He'll be part of the mix. They'll try to find some games that he might be able to fit in, but he's not going to get the bulk of the at-bats, I would not guess, unless he hits well enough to earn it. Jeter Downs, this is his age 24 season. That's claimed him off waivers from the Boston Red Sox this past December 22nd. He entering the 2021 season per MLB pipeline was the number 49 prospect in baseball, but his stock really has plummeted. And, you know, you mentioned Downs being up uh, with the Nats earlier this season. This was something Downs was at the major league level with the Nats April 11th to May 3rd. He, during that time, played in one game. (laughs) So I think that tells you a little something about where he's at in the organizational hierarchy. Of course, he's now back up off the Nats on Wednesday, having optioned second baseman Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester. The Nats officially recalled Downs from Rochester on Thursday. I know you were with the Nats earlier in the day on Friday. David Martinez pregame spoke on Luis Garcia having been optioned. Anything strike you from Davey in terms of what has been done here with Garcia? Well, what he said, and we kind of thought this might be the case, is that it's both about the performance, but even more so about the preparation, about the routine, about the process as he tries to get better. He worries that Garcia sometimes is just chasing numbers, that he cares about what his batting average is, you know, knows he's in a slump, so he tries to get out of it and maybe gets out of his comfort zone. You saw for the last month a lot of swings, a lot of swings at pitches well out of the zone, and it sounds like they weren't thrilled with or at least need him to work on all his pregame work that leads up to that batting practice and also mentioned in the field some things there as well. And I think, I think he's been fine at second base, but I wouldn't say that he's dazzled there at least not over the last few months or so. So I, I thought that was telling. They're not just looking at him starting to hit and produce numbers, but they want to see how he goes about it as well and see that he's committed every single day, pregame and in-game. And then you also heard Davey say that this is not a sign that they've given up on him. They still believe in him. Obviously, they didn't call somebody up who's just taking over because they have a better alternative. They did this because they believe that Luis Garcia needs more work. Well, you do that because you want him to get better so you can call him back up at some point. So Davey said he'll be back up, but they need to see some progress from him in performance and even more so in preparation and the way he goes about his business every day. So just to be clear about this preparation thing, is it that he's not working hard enough? Is it that he's not taking his craft seriously enough? Is it that he's just going about things in the wrong way? Is it an attitude thing? Like, What exactly about the preparation is Davey Martinez displeased with? It's hard to really gauge exactly what he's suggesting here. I don't think it's lack of effort. I don't think it's an attitude issue. I think, and remember, we talked about this going into the season. One of the big things they want with him is focus at all times, every pitch, especially in the field 
they talked about that. I think they maybe see a lack of that. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's him being lazy or not caring. I think it's just kind of the way that he is as a player is not maybe fully engaged at all times. And so sometimes you need to be reminded of that. And a trip down to AAA can wake you up real quick. And Davey was complimentary of him saying he took the news well. He reported immediately the next day, started the very next day after he was sent down. You know, you don't have to report immediately. You're given, I think, 72 hours to do it. He didn't sulk over it. He went down there, got to work, and he went one for five on his first day. So I think it's about staying engaged and staying sharp and into everything that he's doing, not because he's turning lazy out there, but I think it's always been a concern that his focus isn't um, as attuned every single moment, everything that he's doing as maybe they would like it to be. So the Nats on Thursday recalled Jeter Downs from AAA Rochester. The Nats on Friday selected the contract of outfielder Blake Rutherford from AAA Rochester. Uh, Rutherford was the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter on Friday evening, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. But Blake Rutherford is an interesting guy. So Corey Dickerson now is gone. By the way, he has cleared unconditional release waivers, and that's made that announcement on Friday. But it's not just going to be the Stone Garrett show in left field. Blake Rutherford is going to get an opportunity here. So who is Blake Rutherford? Well, this is his age 26 season. He was taken by the New York Yankees with the number 18 overall pick in the 2016 MLB draft. The Nats this past January signed Rutherford to a minor league contract as a free agent. Another guy whose stock had plummeted. But Blake Rutherford this season for AA Harrisburg and AAA Rochester over a total of 261 plate appearances has an OPS of 978. He has hit really well. Now, you know, he's not viewed even now as some like ultra promising prospect. MLB Pipeline doesn't even have him ranked as one of the Nats top 30 prospects. But you put up a 978 OPS over the AA and AAA levels, you're going to get some people's attention. He's getting an opportunity here. What do you think the Nats are thinking with Blake Rutherford? I think they're figuring, let's get a look at him and find out, you know, what do we have to lose right now? I think you and I and everybody else who follows this team knows there are some really talented, really highly touted outfielders making their way up the system who are expected to be here maybe in some cases by the end of the year, certainly at some point next year. And that's going to clog things up very quickly if things go the way that it's supposed to. But in the meantime, you weren't getting anything out of Corey Dickerson. You've got a 26-year-old former first-round pick sitting at AAA with, like you said, a 976 OPS. Let's bring him up here and see what he can do. And I think he's going to get a chance. I don't know if it's a straight platoon with Stone Garrett, but I do get the sense he's going to get some opportunities here especially early on when they face right-handers. He was thrilled to get the call. He's waited a long time for this. He admitted that the way he was playing this year, he kind of started thinking, well, maybe it might happen, but it still didn't make it any less emotional when he got the word the other day. He had 30 friends and family in the stands. A lot of them live in Michigan, so it wasn't that far uh, of a drive to come to Ohio. He grew up in California. It turned out his parents were on vacation in Michigan visiting family. His girlfriend was able to make it. She had just gotten back from Paris the day before. It seems like all the stars were aligned for him to make his debut. Now, the performance in the game wasn't anything that special. 0 for 4, two strikeouts, double play. Probably a little jumpy up there. I don't think that's going to be one and done. He'll get another shot here this weekend and maybe can 
get off the schneid. But again, who knows what you got here? But in the situation they're in, why not find out? Maybe you did find something that you didn't know you had. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfis. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finnegan is ready. He comes set at the letters. The 0-2 pitch. Swing a chopping ground ball to third. Vargas has it. He'll throw it across the diamond to first, and this ball game is over. And for the first time this season, the Nationals defeat the Cincinnati Reds. They score three in the top of the 10th and hand Cincinnati a 6-3 extra inning loss. Well, the Nats starting pitcher on Friday evening was Patrick Corbin. He's not having a good season. As we have talked about, he is better this season than he had been the last few seasons. But his last few outings had not gone particularly well. Well, Corbin on Friday evening, I'll give him credit, he was back to being like a solid version of Patrick Corbin, a workable, functional version of Patrick Corbin. He, in this 6-3, 10-inning win at the Reds, allowed three runs in six into third innings. He only gave up four hits. Now, the problem was that all four of the hits were extra base hits. He gave up three one-out solo home runs and a double. He only issued one walk, but he also recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 83 pitches, 50 strikes versus 33 balls. What'd you make of that? Davey Martinez pulling him after 83 pitches. Well, it was the seventh inning, right? I think you, you look at the ups and downs maybe more so than the pitch count. I mean, this was kind of a weird... <laughs> start because early on, it looked like he was going to get shelled. The three early home runs, including back-to-back pitches in the first inning, and you're thinking, oh my God, here we go. Now, to his credit, for most of the night, those were the only three hits he even gave up. He finally gave up a double in the sixth inning. Other than that, it was a walk and a guy reaching on an air. So he got the job done. He started to get the ball down in the zone, got more ground balls instead of the ball in the air. I mean, in this ballpark, you cannot leave the ball up. You're going to pay the price for it. And I think when it came to the seventh inning, you knew Joey Votto, left-handed hitter, was leading off. After that, you had right Hayes coming up after that. So Davey said, go get this one last batter, leave on a high note, leave him wanting more, and quality start. You know, I, I mean, the path to get there was a little strange. I don't know that at any point as you watched it, you're thinking to yourself, boy, he's pitching really well tonight. But at the end of the night, three runs and six in the third and left with a no decision thanks to the late rally. So, you know, that'll work, right? We'll take that every time from Patrick Corbin. Absolutely. The problem is we don't get that every time, but we will take that every time. And to his credit, he has done that more this season than he had in recent seasons. Well, the last installment of this podcast included a conversation about the Nats bullpen in which I I was, I was like so careful to praise this bullpen because we know how it has been with this bullpen this season. But the truth is, the bullpen has been better lately. And the Nats bullpen on Friday evening was especially good. Five Nats relievers combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Yeah, Davey Martinez used five relievers uh, in this, yes, 10-inning game. But man, Davey was aggressive with the bullpen usage in terms of getting guys in and getting guys out. Amos Willingham faced four batters, got two outs. Jordan Weems, another impressive outing, a scoreless bottom of the eighth 
with swinging strikeouts of the Reds, numbers two and four batters, Nick Senzel and Spencer Steer. Then we had an eventful bottom of the ninth. Jose A. Ferrer and Andres Machado teamed up for this. So Ferrer began the inning with the game tied at three. He issued a leadoff walk of Joey Votto, then recorded an out, then issued a one-out intentional walk of Tyler Stevenson that was compelled by a steal of second base by pinch runner T.J. Friedel and also was compelled by a 3-0 count on Stevenson. This was not a straight intentional walk. And then Ferrer got pulled from the game and Andres Machado came into the game in the bottom of the ninth. Runners on first and second, one out, were tied at three. Machado struck out Stuart Fairchild, but not before Friedel stole third base. Machado issued a two-out intentional walk of uh, the Nats' new friend this season, Ellie De La Cruz. I'm not sure how his uh, bat knob was doing in this game. Uh, but then Machado got Nick Senzel to line out with the bases loaded for the third out. So Davey Martinez got through that ninth inning tied with Jose A. Ferrer and Andres Machado, and that brought Kyle Finnegan to work the bottom of the 10th off the Nats scoring three runs in the top of the 10th. And Finnegan was great. A perfect bottom of the 10th with swinging strikeouts of the Reds numbers three and four batters, Matt McLean and Spencer Steer. A lot to take in with this bullpen in this game. But the bottom line is the Nats bullpen did well. They did well. They've been doing well for about a week now. I don't know if it's going to continue or not, but it's been nice to see. It's been a breath of fresh air. You know, if this team was more competitive and playing more meaningful games, I think there'd be a fascinating discussion to be had over whether it's the right call to use a rookie in Ferrer and a guy who has not pitched well this year in Machado in the ninth inning and save your closer for a potential save situation in the 10th. Now, it worked out. And I think in the situation they're in, you've heard Davey say it. He wants to see what some of the young guys can do in high leverage spots. Jose Ferrer is on that list. He's pitched some big moments here lately, and I feel like more often than not, he's gotten the job done. It hasn't always been consistent, but he has the ability to do it. And in this case, you can see he's just got to throw strikes. When he put the ball over the plate, he was fine. But the leadoff walk, and then as you said, the intentional walk was because he was behind in the count 3-0. and And at that point, you're like, all right, he faced three batters. Let's get Machado in there instead. I'll be honest, I was convinced that the two stolen bases in the inning, especially the uncontested third base with one out, that was going to doom them. They were going to lose the game because of that. To Andres Machado's credit, he got those final outs. He got out of the jam. Good on him for doing that. I don't know if that means that he's fixed because it's been a very rough season for him when he's been in the big leagues. And this guy has already been DFA'd over the winter, brought back, DFA'd after he struggled, brought back, he's here again. Let's see how this all goes. But on this night, at least, he pitched very effectively, got out of a big jam against a good team in a pennant race and on the road, big crowd. And that did set it up then for Finnegan to be able to pitch a very clean bottom of the tent. And Kyle Finnegan, Al, is pitching lights out right now. He is. You know, his numbers for this season were not especially pretty not long ago. Those numbers are looking better and better, you know? Those numbers right now are winking at you from across the bar saying, hey, look at me. Kyle Finnegan on the season now, ERA at 287. Uh, he's got a whip now of 113. Uh, strikeouts per nine innings, 8.62. Okay, that's not what you want from your ace reliever, but whatever. I mean, he has gotten those ERA and whip numbers into very respectable territories. I give him credit. 
And I got to tell you, Jordan Weems, the more I see, the more I like. You know, his ERA now on the season is 287. He has 32 strikeouts in 31 and a third innings. And if you're talking upside, like who, if his powers are harnessed for good, you know, who, if he can avoid the bad, has the best upside here, or at least has appreciable upside. You know, it may well be that Finnegan has the most upside, but Finnegan, as we've talked about, age 31 season. Weems has something. Like, there's something to this guy. I don't know if you can count on him. You know, consistency is going to be a question, at least right now. But man, lately, to me, he has shown improvement, and he has shown an ability here to maybe just maybe be something for the Nats moving forward. And doing it in big, high-leverage spots late in games because they're kind of forced to put him in those spots. You know, what's noticeable is in a close, tight game on the road, who did they not use? Mason Thompson, who is trying to work things out again after a very rough July. I'll be interested to see when he's back in there and in what situation. But in his absence, Jordan Weems has certainly stepped up and a guy who's got good stuff, no doubt about it. We saw last year kind of up and down. He got hit kind of hard, gave up some homers, but he has looked very good this year. I go back to the game in Seattle when he got out of a huge jam. I think he wound up with his first career save. A strike away for Weems of the Nationals. He comes set, the kick of the pitch. In there, strike three called. A curly W's in the books in extra innings in Seattle. I think since that moment, he's taken to another level. It's relievers, so it's so fickle. You never really know what you're going to get there, but there's been a lot more good from him lately. And I agree, there's upside there. I don't think this is a guy getting away with it. I think this is a guy becoming better and using his stuff to his full potential. Yeah, he can strike people out. Now, look, Jordan Weems, he is in his age 30 season. So, you know, it's not like he's 23. And so you have to say, okay, well, he's not that young and he doesn't have some great track record. So, yeah, I mean, maybe this is just kind of a nice little run and he's not going to duplicate this. But, you know, sometimes you do see this with relievers. They sort of figure stuff out to where they can start to be good you know, say into their 30s and be good for a few years. So we'll see. I mean, you have nothing to lose, but the performance lately has been good from Jordan Weems. So I give him credit for that. I mentioned at the top of the show, Dylan Cruz making his professional debut, set to debut for the Fred Nats on Saturday. You know, we don't know how long he'll be playing for the Fred Nats. I'm happy though for the Fred Nats. Hopefully they'll get uh, a nice little bump here from an attendance standpoint. But do you think Mike Rizzo is thinking, okay, Dylan Cruz is going to spend the rest of this season for low A Fredericksburg? Or do you think maybe not that uh, Dylan could be elevated at some point, even before the end of the minor league season? I'm going to guess, you know, we'll see how the performance is, but I'm going to guess that Dylan Cruz proves pretty quickly that he is better than low A ball. I think LSU this year was better than the uh, low A ball league in the pros. Now, you know, let's see. He's got to perform, of course, but I would not be surprised if you're talking a couple of weeks, maybe there then try to get him up to Wilmington, see high A ball pitching. And if that goes well, I could see September in Harrisburg as well. I'm, this is going to tell us a lot about his track to the big leagues, how close he really is. If he could do that, and I would not put it past Mike Rizzo to do that. I think in his mind, he may even think that Dylan Cruz is close to double A ready, but you don't do that. You make sure that he has at least a little taste and has some success at each level it's always easier to move a guy up than it is to move him down. So we'll see. But I would think in his mind, Mike Rizzo sees a scenario where there is not just one, but maybe even two promotions for Dylan Cruz before the end of the season. 
That would be something. Dylan Cruz in this calendar year to win a national championship for LSU and then play at multiple levels in a major league team's minor league system of having been the number two overall pick in a draft. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Schober, see what we can do for you. Uh, again, that email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website as well, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Runner goes to two. Drill deep right, and Justice Bigby takes one look at it as that one sails on the top of the building across the street. 444 feet 112 off the bat. James Wood has homered in consecutive games, and the Senators have put up four.